Hello, I'm Dale Gentry, and welcome to the Disciple Science Podcast. I'm an ecologist and a professor of biology and a Christian. I find great joy and harmony in my life exploring science, studying birds, and following Jesus. I help start Disciple Science to produce short videos and other resources to show how integrating science and Christian faith can inspire a fuller knowledge of God. I'm glad you're here to join me and occasional guests to explore the intersection of science and Christian faith. Now let's get on with this week's podcast. I was fortunate this week to speak with Dr. Cy Gart about his recent book, The Works of His Hands. Cy is a biochemist and he has a remarkable story of how science led him into his faith in Jesus. It's a stunning account of how a deeper understanding of God's creation can lead us into a sense of the presence of God. The interview ran about an hour, so we're going to split it up so you'll hear the first half today and the second half next week. So without further ado, please enjoy part one of my conversation with Dr. Cy Gart. All right, we're fortunate today to have an opportunity to speak with Dr. Cy Gart, who earned his PhD in biochemistry and a bachelor's in chemistry from the City University of New York. He's been a professor of public health and environmental health sciences at New York University, Rutgers University, and the University of Pittsburgh. In addition to over 200 scientific publications in genetics, molecular epidemiology, cancer research, and other areas, Dr. Gart has been the author of five books and articles and perspectives on science and Christian faith, the publication of the American Scientific Affiliation, and recently had an article in Christianity Today, uh, which my father cut out and sent, sent to me. And I said, yeah, I'm about to talk to that guy on, on podcast. Exciting. Uh, he recently retired from, senior admini- from a senior administration uh, administrator position at the National Institute of Health and is now editor-in-chief of God and Nature, uh, a quarterly addendum from the American Scientific Affiliation. Dr. Gard is vice president of his Washington, D.C. area uh, ASA chapter, and is a fellow of the American Scientific Affiliation, and is author recently of The Works of His Hands, A Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith, which is I have right here before me. Dr. Gart, Sai, thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to have you here on the Disciple Science Podcast, where we talk about the intersection of science and faith and talk with scientists and scholars and theologians about how to cast a vision for how science and, and faith can coexist peacefully. It's great to be here, and I'm thrilled to learn about your podcast and your organization. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, writing your book. It really was a fascinating read and uh, a really valuable contribution to this field. It seems like it's uh, half memoir and half trying to help people see how science and faith can coexist. And you've got quite a unique story on that memoir part of it. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your upbringing and what led you to your uh, atheist convictions in your youth? Right. So, yeah, I had a fairly unusual uh, upbringing. My parents, in fact, my whole extended family were very left wing. My parents had been members of the American Communist Party just before Mm. I was born. Uh, And uh, part of the communist ideology at that time, and in many places still is, is a very strict adherence to the philosophy ideology of atheism. And when I say that, I'm not talking about the kind of atheism that is often used now, which is that I simply don't believe in any God. 
Uh, that wasn't the ideology I had. It was God is impossible. It's a myth uh, concocted by the ruling classes to subjugate people. Uh, re religion of all kinds, and Christianity in particular, has been a uh, tool for evil and mm. has uh, produced no good in the world whatsoever. Uh, everything in the Bible is mythological, on and on. So a very, very strong kind of atheism that uh, brooked no exceptions, <laughs> wow. like, all of, like all of the uh, communist rhetoric at that point. Yep. And uh, along with that came the baggage of a belief in absolute materialism, uh, no not just no religion, but no spirituality, no uh, idea of anything supernatural or anything outside of what can be measured by science. Mm -hmm. And my father, uh, in addition to having that ideology, was actually a scientist as well. He was a chemist. So I grew up in that worldview, which was highly materialistic and uh, totally opposed to any concept of spirituality or anything yeah. beyond that. Yep. Wow. And, uh, but it didn't, apparently it didn't go well with my personality. <laughs> <laughs> How because, so? Yeah. Well, I, you know, there, I kept wondering if I was missing out on something, if there was something else going mm -hmm. on. And occasionally I had some experiences, which I now identify as, you know, mercy shown to me by the Holy Spirit, the call of God. And I was very moved when I had those experiences as a teenager, but only for a few minutes or an hour or so. And then I, <laughs> I rejected them and I closed my ears. And I said, that's just a trick of my emotions or a trick of my you know, neurochemistry, as you'll hear today. Uh, and it's a delusion and it's not worth looking into. And I just dropped it. Yeah even though the, the emotion I felt was quite real. <laughs> so I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, so, but what happened was I began, I, I kind of got to the point where I used science as my spiritual uh, view of the world and, mm -hmm. and the beauty of the scientific explanations and physics and biology and how things worked. And, and that was very satisfying for a while. But it led to some very difficult questions and contradictions. Um, yeah. and, that, and that especially led to eventually my rejection of materialism as a philosophy. Yeah. Uh, and it was simply think, learning things like, you know, quantum physics. And, and you know, I had a, as a chemistry major in college, I had to solve the Schrodinger equation. And that led me to look into what, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I discovered, you know, the observer effect and, and the, the uncertainty principle and all these things that just don't go with a materialistic worldview. Yeah. I mean, they're unexplainable. They're not understandable. And, yeah. uh, you know, that famous quote, if you say you understand quantum mechanics, you don't. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and, and so that, sort of gave me my first pause uh, and, and started me thinking down a very dangerous path. Yeah. When I was studying biochemistry in graduate school, um, and I, I remember learning about the, the protein synthesis translation system, and, you know, and, and the professor was just saying very blithely without thinking about it too much, 
Oh, and then the the uh, this enzyme, you know, the the tRNA uh, amino acyl tRNA synthase, which is this amazing enzyme. And he said, well, at first it picks up the right amino acid, and then it picks up the tRNA with the anticodon that codes for that amino acid. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> I mean, if this were a man-made operation, it would be complicated, and people right. would get it wrong. Yep, it's chemistry. How does that happen? How do you yeah. get? That? And I, I, I never got over my uh, to this day. I have never gotten over my astonishment at that process. <laughs> and uh, one incident that I like to tell, and I'm not sure it's in the book, is that when I I used to teach this, once I became a uh, a graduate assistant and then later a professor, uh, I always felt emotionally moved when I was describing it. And one student once said to me that I reminded her of her pastor. (laughs) Was that before you came to faith? How did you take that? Oh, that that was way before. I took that very badly. (laughs) I thought, oh, no, that's terrible. I better better get, you know, I better stay cool. (laughs) Uh, So, So there were things in biochemistry that also made me question that whole materialistic worldview. I mean, yeah. how, yeah. how I know about evolution. I, I hold to evolution and I <clears> think it's, it's uh, it's a good explanation and a lot of things can happen with evolution, but there are reasons why this particular process uh, may not. And that's yeah. a very complicated thing we can talk yep, about yep. later. Well, I mean, it's, it's so, so interesting because the dominant perspective is that when you engage in a scientific education, it's going to lead you away from a faith. Yeah. And it's the exact opposite for you. And there are a few other people out there with similar stories, Francis Collins, and right. maybe, you know, even C.S. Lewis, who like they said, you know, reason and rationality led me to um, right. belief. Right. What, was it, was it something about your education? you think it's more personality or were you having conversations with your, your buddies at college? Were they asking the same questions? No, not at issues? all. Not at all. I was in New York city. It was the 1960s. Yeah. <laughs> Christianity. It, there was a Jesus movement, yeah, uh, right. you know, in, in your area, for example, other parts of the country, but it didn't hit New York very hard. Right. Yeah. And no, we were not thinking about that at all. I was not thinking about it. Um, and in fact, it took me a long time to go from that questioning phase to full-blown agnosticism. Wow. Just to make that leap. Yeah. Well, that, that, that didn't take that long, but once I was an agnostic, which took a, maybe another few years and I realized I really don't know what's going yep. on. Yep. I still was far from ready to accept theism and Christianity wasn't even on the horizon. Yeah. Right. And it was just, it was a slow process. What, 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 that, what that feeling of, of being an agnostic did was get me, stimulate me to start reading a lot. Yeah. Hmm. And I started flirting with a lot of things. It was, as I said, it was the 60s and the 70s. And, you know, Buddhism was very popular and new age stuff. And I looked into all of those things and they were not interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, I looked into Judaism quite a bit. That was interesting for its theistic, but I it didn't I just didn't feel anything with it. Yeah. Huh. And um but you know, the whole idea of God I, at that point I was kind of I don't know if you know if you've read about Einstein's views. I, mm-hmm. I hate comparing myself to Einstein, but in this case <laughs> in this case there was a certain 
similarity. And uh, Alistair McGrath, the, the guy who wrote the foreword for my yeah. book, he just came out also a few months ago with a book called The Theory of Everything, which is all about Albert Einstein. Right, his, yeah. I've heard his, about that. I'm looking forward to reading it. Yeah, yeah you should. It, it's a great book. It, it's very short. Uh, and he talks about Einstein's semi-religious views. And yeah. Einstein was quite clear. He did not believe in a personal God. He did not believe in any religion. He never went to any religious institution, even Jewish. Um, but he did think there was something else. And he said, there's something beyond what we can study with physics. Yeah. And we could call that God. Yeah. And that's where I was. Yeah. Uh, and so that lasted for a while. I, and, you know, I was reading various mystical books and all kinds of books and uh, just getting, I remember the, reading the Tao of Physics, which was, you know, which is a classic book about the amazing parts of physics that just don't fit yep. with reason. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's where I was for a long time, just sort of thinking about it, not knowing where to go. And so, so it sounds like the... <clears throat> What you're encountering in your in your undergraduate education helped you to realize that there were questions science wasn't sufficient to answer. Right. And then you started exploring on your own. Right. right? Okay. And then and, and in the book you mention all these questions you had. Right. And you, and you kept kind of hitting dead ends. And I was fascinated. At, you know, by the end of the book, you kind of propose answers to some of these questions. Right. Right. Share with us some of those questions that you were wrestling with and that that eventually led you into some sense of Christianity being uh, a plausible explanation for the answers that science couldn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I, some of those questions, I, I don't have the book in front of me, but I remember them. Uh, and you can remind me if I yeah, one out. Yeah. Uh, some of those, one of the questions was, I discovered this when I was, had actually become a, a researcher. I was a postdoc and then an assistant professor. And I was doing my own research and I was reading papers and I was getting into the biochemical, biological research. And, and you will certainly understand what I'm about to say as a, as a biologist. Uh, it seemed that every time we did a research project with a question and we got answers, it raised more questions. Yeah. Yep. And half the time, those answers were the last thing we would have expected. And mm. the example I love to give is the, a fairly recent uh, discovery of not that recent anymore, but uh, on on the genome, which is that human beings have twenty thousand genes. Nobody predicted that. Yep, yep. twenty thousand genes. That's less than so rice. fewer than so many. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, what, why don't we have the most genes of it? I mean, sure. right? How does that? Yeah. Well, what that does is it raises it raises a lot of questions, and it leads us into the incredible complex world of gene regulation, which is mm. so important in mm -hmm. making us human. So this always happens in science. We yeah. always end up with, oh my God, I never thought that would happen. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at astronomy, look at particle physics. All of this is continually coming up with surprising answers that lead to <clears throat> you know, new questions that have to be researched. I mean, we never finish any particular subject yep. in science. It's never done. It's never yeah. tied up with a bow. And that has had me sort of churning in my brain the past 
weeks since finishing your book, you know, it, it, will there be a point where we kind of run out of questions? Because if you go back in time, 50 years, you, you found these scientists, they're like, well, you know, we've kind of answered everything. Yeah. It's yeah. just remarkable that, that they had the, you know, the audacity to say something like that. And now it just seems crazy well, that any, anybody exactly. would approach that. Exactly. Um, I don't think anyone says that anymore. No, it's certainly so, not yeah. biology. <laughs> Goodness. No. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was just, so I, I, one of the other questions related to this is why is everything so complex? Yeah. You know, why isn't it? Why? I mean, there was a point when scientists, after having discovered so many beautiful, elegant equations, thought, well, okay, that's nice. Um, we can describe the world with the world and everything in it with, you know, eight or nine or whatever number of equations, all fairly simple <laughs> written on one line or two lines. No, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's the surface. We've just scratched the surface. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so uh, why is that? And, and all this complexity just made me think what's behind all of this. Yeah. What, why is everything so complex? And um, and I, I, you know, I didn't have an answer. Uh, yeah. and, and there were other, let's see, some of the other questions were, oh, well, one of the first questions, which I answered no, was can you explain everything by reason alone? And yeah, yeah. that was clearly not true. Yeah. <clears throat> and then some of the other questions that I raised were about, for example, and this I spent a lot of time reading and thinking about is what is human consciousness? Yeah. Why, why, why do we feel that we're, we, that we're us? I mean, why am I me and you're you? And yep. I know you're you only because, well, I'm me. So maybe you have the same <laughs> you idea. You, right. Yeah. And then, you know, why do we do the things we do? How do we, how do, I mean, how did Beethoven and he was a human being, you know, how did he write those symphonies? And, yep. Yep. And how do ordinary people who were not terribly talented do incredible things? Yep. And I have that story in the book about driving and listening to the to a tape on the radio and, yeah. and it's an ordinary story, but it's there are like twelve miracles in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and how does that happen? What what that's is that all evolution? And I think I know about evolution and how it works pretty well. And yep. You know, I can't think of the of a gene that would code for musical genius. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. I'm trying to picture that protein and what its yep. what its active site would look like. Yep. Now that's that's oversimplifying a bit, and I know that people have ideas, but <clears throat> I'm not happy with with just waving that off as oh well, you know, it's natural selection and it's a spandrel. We were selected to, yep. I don't know think about things and cause that's selectively advantageous. So now we have, you know, <laughs> we have physics and we have science. Yep. I, I think that's a, that's not the answer that right. I, I didn't know what the answer was. Yep. And in the back of my mind was, well, you know, maybe this God thing, you know, maybe, maybe God is in there somewhere. I don't know how yep. to this day, I believe that God created everything. So there's no such thing as, natural and god i mean yeah right all yeah. of nature is god so. yeah yeah god inhabits all of it yeah yeah but at that point i i really didn't know and um and so i started thinking uh well you know i don't know anything about this religious stuff i'd never been in a church or any other uh you know house of worship until i was in my 40s hmm. and uh 
And a friend of mine uh, asked me if I would accompany her to church. And I said, no, I, I'm not going to church. Yeah. It's scary. It was a Catholic church. Yeah. You know, and I was thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, the, the, they, they see me, they'll burn me right there as a heretic, <laughs> you know, what these Christians do. Yeah. Even and, though you're ex- exploring a little bit, I'm, I'm curious, you're still, it sounds like you were, you're curious about the different faiths out there, but that stepping through the door into the church was still either intimidating or just unappealing. Oh no, I was terrified. Oh wow. Not unappealing. I was just frightened. Yeah. Yep. I I just thought at the best, at the worst, I thought I would be physically thrown out. (laughs) Maybe after being branded. I I had no clue. And at the best I thought, well, everyone will, will, sneer at me and look at who is that guy. Right. And I pictured the priest thundering about hell and brimstone. And yeah. I couldn't believe what happened. I sat down, people smiled. The priest talked only about love. Hmm. The entire sermon was about love. Yeah. Uh, people shook my hands, my hand. I shook hands with yeah. people and yeah. they smiled and they said, Peace of Christ, which, okay, yeah. nothing wrong there. And it was fine. Yeah. Huh. And uh, that was a shock to me. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't all that bad. Huh? It wasn't all that bad. So. Um, and how long between that experience and eventually you coming to peace with, you know, the truth of Christianity? A long time. It still was a long Very long process. time. At okay. least 15, yeah. maybe 20 years. Wow. The reason... Wow. I mean, during that period, I occasionally went back to a church. Yep. I thought it was very nice, but I couldn't believe. Yeah. It was just too hard to get over that yep. hump. I mean, this was from childhood. And uh, I could tell my, so occasionally I would say, boy, I really wish I could believe in this. It's so nice. It would be so nice if I could, but I can't. Hmm. Uh, because, you know, I, and I envied people. and uh, uh, And I thought, you know they're lucky, but I can't. I can't go there. It's, I know that it's not true, and you know I'd be just believing a lie and believing a myth. And that lasted a very long time. I got, and I would still be there. I mean, that's where Einstein stayed the rest of his life. And yeah, yeah. I would still be there, and it wasn't me who got out of that. It was. It was the Holy Spirit. Yep. It was God Himself who had mercy. Yeah. And the first. Uh, and this is all detailed in the book, as you know. Um, the first uh, experiences were several dreams. In two of those dreams, I actually saw the figure of Christ. Hmm. And, um, and they're detailed in the book. And, and the content of those dreams was on pretty much, I mean, they weren't, they weren't, they didn't say I'm real, believe in me, but yeah. what they were was if you if I thought about what they were for about five minutes, I could see that, that I was being spoken to. Yeah. And that got me really, really in, in thinking that maybe there's something here. And I was almost, almost there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know if you, oh yeah, you, you saw my Christianity Today article. I talk about that. I talk about it in the, in the uh, which is not in the book. I talk about it as, using the image of breaking out of a jail cell, yeah. a prison cell, and how hard that was to do. And I couldn't, and even when the cell was gone, 
and the door was down and there were no walls, I couldn't step over that threshold, yeah. not completely. Mm. And that changed when I had my uh, road to, I call it the road to Pittsburgh experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because that's where I was going. I was okay. driving on the Pennsylvania Turnpike to Pittsburgh. <laughs> <clears throat> and I wasn't struck down as Paul was and, and blinded and all that drama. It was, it was much less dramatic, but it was pretty much the same. <laughs> I, yeah. uh, yep. I had a semi-vision of, of preaching, uh, which is not something I would have ever thought of doing. And yeah. the words were not mine. They came from somewhere else. And uh, at the end of that, and that's also described in great, great detail in the book, at the end of that, I knew I was a Christian. And I, I said out loud, I believe. Hmm. And, uh, yep. And that you talk about one of your, one of your dreams told you to just let go, right? Exactly. Like, let, this idea that you needed to you know, take a proverbial leap of faith or whatever, be right. willing to just let go of that idea that, that something was standing in the way of, of you and, and being able to say, I, I believe. Yeah. I mean, the leap of, it's interesting. I never quite put that together. It really was a leap of faith because in the dream I was hanging off a cliff hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. and I was told to let go. And that's a leap of faith. Boy. Yeah. A it? real leap of faith. So yeah. And I didn't even know those words I, at the time I had the dream. Uh, yeah. The other dream, which is me going through a door that Jesus points to, it wasn't until I don't know, 20 years later, 15 years later, that I discovered the line, the, the, the gospel uh, story of, of Jesus knocking on the door. Oh, no, yep. is, is, is it, where is it? Now I forgot where it is. Oh, is it in John? John, I think. John, yeah, it's in John. Uh, and I, I never heard it. I mean, that was not something that, ever yeah. <laughs> that I had read or heard about. I, I, and it wasn't until much later when I read John yep. uh, that, I, oh, my God, <laughs> look at that. Yeah. So there was no question in my mind at this point that these all these experiences were coming. They were not delusions. They were yeah. they were from the Holy Spirit. And so yeah. uh, I now uh, believe in Christ with all my heart and soul and yeah. mind, etc. Yeah. There's no question in my mind anymore. Hasn't been for many years. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Thanks for listening to the first part of this interview with Cy Gard. We'll share the second half next week, so stay tuned. Disciple Science exists to show how integrating science and Christian faith can inspire a fuller knowledge of God. We're a nonprofit and we're fully crowdfunded, so everything we do is dependent on your generous support. If you want to help make this ministry run, you can give by visiting our website and clicking on the support button in the upper right hand corner. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your questions and comments and the topics that you'd like to hear more about in the future. You can reach us by tweeting at us at Disciple Science or emailing us at disciplescience1 at gmail.com. I want to thank Caleb Davis for producing this episode and for composing our theme music. I'm Dale. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again next week.